Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped On Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to be talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers song, Deep Kick, from their 1995 album, One Hot Minute. A running theme through this episode, just as a forewarning, is going to be that Jason and I are not what we would consider Red Hot Chili Peppers fans. And that doesn't mean we don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We do. It's just that we wouldn't consider ourselves like fans. I would say we're we're beyond greatest hits only. Yeah. We're, we're definitely into some of the album, but not all on board. Everything they do is amazing. I guess, I guess the best way to put it would be I would never go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers live. Like I would never buy a ticket to see them specifically. If they were at like a festival or something, I might be like, oh, let's go check this out. This will probably be fun. But I would never like buy a ticket to go see them because I am just not that big of a fan of what they're doing right now. I feel like what they're doing now is just not for me really. But that all being said, this album that we're talking about today, One Hot Minute, is not only my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers album, but it's also probably one of my favorite albums from the 90s in general. Like, I think it's just very, very strong and super fun. And there's there's a lot going on here that maybe the surface level, you know, listener may not notice that I think is really interesting. One of the biggest things is this record doesn't have any of the, the well, there's a lot of lineup changes that we'll, yeah, we'll end up talking about. <laughs> but, but one of the big things about this record is Dave Navarro plays guitar on it. Somebody with a very distinctive style coming from the band Jane's Addiction. And I think it kind of made fans very conflicted about this record, along with kind of other other turmoil going on. But for me, who's a huge Jane's Addiction fan, him coming into this band makes this record just so cool and so interesting and such a in, such a weird outlier in the the discography of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and and as Scott mentioned, it's just a great rock record. There's just amazing playing going on here, and anytime I, I feel like I need I need something to get me going or just something loud and crazy and full of energy, this this record is one of those things that you can just put on and it just like explodes through the speakers. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, though. Uh, not so good stuff going on with the Red Hot Chili Peppers behind the scenes. And uh, the lyrics of Deep Kick, which we're going to get into later in the episode, center mainly on telling the story of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the, the members themselves, the, the the formation of the band, the the general, I, I, I don't know, aesthetic of, of who these people are and the music they create. So it's a very interesting song to talk about because we're not just talking about a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We're almost talking about like an autobiography written by the auto, written by the Red Hot Chili Peppers in like song form. So, in order to really understand what's going on here, you got to understand where the Red Hot Chili Peppers are coming from and what's going on. So, we're going to get into the history now and talk a lot about w- how the Red Hot Chili Peppers got to the point where they make this album one hot minute. It started when we were little kids. Free spirits, but already tormented by our own hands, given to us by our parents. 
We got together and wrote on desks and slept in laundry rooms near snowy mountains and slipped through whatever cracks we could find, minds altered, you didn't falter, and portraying hysterical and tragic characters in a small film. The Red Hat Chili Peppers are a group that has had its members change so many times that it's pretty much nearly impossible to keep track of everything. So, so we're not going to go over it all because we'd be lost, but, but we're going to give you as much backstory as we can, especially as it pertains to the song Deep Kick, which, as you mentioned, is essentially the band telling its own story. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers had its beginnings in 1983 when four Fairfax high school students joined together to create a band called, this is a mouthful here, Tony Flo and the Miraculously Majestic Masters of Mayhem. (laughs) I I practiced that like five times before the episodes. I would say it correctly. (laughs) So the members of Tony Flo were vocalist Anthony Kiedis, bassist Flea, guitarist Hillel Slovak, and drummer Jack Irons. The band's first show was made up of material written on the fly, as in the band improvised music while Kiedis just recited a poem that he wrote. So, you know, not not planned out as as well as a a little loose, a little loose. (laughs) Uh, The reaction to that first show is really positive, though, and the band changed its name to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and started to pursue a, a musical career. Surprisingly, by the end of that year. This is like really fast. By the end of that year, the band had a seven album deal with EMI. However, guitarist Slovak and drummer Irons were already in another band that also had gotten a big record deal. As such, Slovak and Irons quit the Chili Peppers and were temporarily replaced. The band entered the studio to record its eponymous debut album in 1984. The band wasn't very satisfied with this record as they felt it made them sound too commercial, uh, which is not what they wanted at all at, at that time. The band was also getting heavy into heroin use, which caused further complications with the album's producer, who was not a drug user and was, you know, very uh, trying ups- to get trying to get the job done. Yeah, trying to get the job done, and just you know, they were just too messed up to 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 be able to get stuff done at some points. Uh, so the lead single from that album didn't chart or didn't help the record chart or do anything. But uh, here's a clip of that single, which is called "Get Up and Jump." Get up, get up, get up, jump. The band did a grueling tour to support their first album. They played 60 shows in 64 days. And these are not these are not like coffee shop shows with an acoustic guitar. Like these are chili peppers shows. So that's 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 gotta be pretty intense. So the band did this grueling tour. When the tour was over, Hillel Slovak rejoined the group and the band entered the studio to record their second record. Drummer Jack Irons eventually rejoined as well. Because of their dissatisfaction with the first record's commercial sound, they brought in George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic to produce that new album. Clinton was also, this might surprise people, Clinton was also a heavy drug user. What? (laughs) (laughs) So the band and the producer are now like heavily using drugs during the entire creation of this second record. With Clinton's influence, the band's second album, which was called Freaky Styly, is pretty much a straight-up funk record. 
Flea would later describe it as, quote, too funky for white radio, too punk rockin' for black radio, which is... That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good summation of the of the album. Uh, you can hear that a bit in the single "Jungle Man" from that album. Freaky Styley performed a little bit better than the previous record, but the band was still pretty small time. The band was also, at this point, using drugs to such excess that they could barely function. Things got so bad that the band actually fired Kiedis, who then went to rehab to get back on track. After a brief stint in rehab, Kiedis rejoined the band and finished its third record, titled The Uplift Mofo Party Plan. Great, great album name. (laughs) (laughs) It was only a month or two later that Kiedis would start doing drugs again, and things got back to how they were previously with the band members getting as messed up as possible all the time. However, this new album actually charted, helped by the lead single and an only single, Fight Like a Brave. On the cusp of this success, tragedy unfortunately struck the band when guitarist Hillel Slovak died of a heroin overdose. Due to his own addictions, Kiedis didn't even attend the funeral. Drummer Jack Irons left the band shortly after Slovak's death, citing that he didn't want to be in a group where his friends were dying. I mean, really, you can't, you can't, blame, can't blame that decision right there. With the band reduced to just Kiedis and Flea, new members were needed. After a series of different members joining and leaving, the band eventually settled into what most people consider the peak lineup, Kiedis on vocals, Flea on bass, Chad Smith on drums, and John Frusciante on guitar. This lineup recorded the band's fourth album, Mother's Milk, which helped the band achieve real success for the first time. The lead single from that record was actually a cover of the Stevie Wonder song, Higher Ground, which is still rotated on rock radio today. Check it out right here. And if you listen to the earlier Chili Peppers records and then listen to this one, it's a distinct shift in the sound of the band where it's a lot less. There, there's still these kind of jams and, and funky stuff going on. But for Shante brings more of a songwriter quality where he's just like, oh, hey, guys, we can't just be, you know, playing some like little funky riff and having, you know, Anthony Kiedis come in and just sort of, you know, rap sing over it. Um, for Shante brings a lot more structure to the Chili Pepper songs. And you can hear that on basically everything on this record. 
Yeah, and it should be mentioned that Frusciante is a, a, the only member of the Chili Peppers up until this point that actually has like a classically trained musical background. He actually understands music theory. He understands like you know how to read music and write music and stuff like that. Whereas Flea, Kiedis, and Chad Smith are basically just you know everyone's an accomplished musician. They, they, they but can yeah. clearly play their instruments, no question. But they don't really understand much about music theory and songwriting and stuff like that. So yeah, you're right. This that's why there's like a big shift once Frusciante joins into not. Not just being, you know, an insane, funky, weird punk rock act, but actually to being songwriters. And it's interesting that the lead single from the album is, is a, a cover, cover song yeah. because they're kind of representing like we're, we're moving in a different direction where we're actually going to be cover, you know, covering, you know, actual songs and writing actual songs rather than just being totally insane all the time. <laughs> The success of Mother's Milk earned the band a taste of fame and all the members were in very good places with the drug use dramatically reduced. The Chili Peppers then began work on their fifth album, which would become the breakthrough hit Blood Sugar Sex Magic. The band rented a mansion formerly owned by magician Harry Houdini and converted into their home and recording studio with three of the four members living and recording there during the six month long session. Only drummer Chad Smith left the house to stay elsewhere, reportedly because he felt the house was haunted. Although Chad Smith says that he didn't he didn't think the house was haunted. He just wanted to spend more time with his wife. But let's just think I, that I don't want anybody to make fun of me. Yeah. It's, it's haunted. <laughs> yeah, <he's> like, <laughs> so everybody's that's that's a way that's a way better answer. <laughs> yeah. So but the important thing to remember is, is that everybody's clean and they're living in this house like they're not going off on drug benders. They're not just like, you know, going crazy with George Clinton as the producer right now. Rick Rubin is producing the album, who's a very straight laced you know, hardworking record producer. So the band is in a really good spot right now. And, you know, making this record, it ends up being like the, the turning point of their entire career. When Blood Sugar Sex Magic finally landed in 1991, it unexpectedly became an enormous hit based mostly on what is arguably the band's signature song, Give It Away. Although Give It Away helped the album become huge, we also can't neglect to mention another song on the record, which is also pretty legendary, which is Under the Bridge, which is also a rock radio staple. The lyrics clearly tell the story of Kiedis' crippling drug use and how he never wants to get back into that again. So we're going to play a clip for that right now. She kisses the With the success of Blood Sugar Sex Magic, the band was in a new and uncomfortable position of being relatively sober as well as bonafide rock stars. Guitarist John Fushanti had no desire to be famous and actually hated how successful the band had become. Coincidentally, he was also beginning to develop a heroin addiction, even though Kiedis at this point was relatively clean. 
So during the promotional tour for Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Frushanti abruptly quit the band, forcing the Chili Peppers to bring in temporary replacements to finish all the promotional engagements they had scheduled. The band wanted Dave Navarro to join the band at this time, who had just left Jane's Addiction because they had just broken up. However, Dave Navarro was also into heavy drugs at the time, and the band felt he wasn't ready to join since they were all sober. For a few months, the Red Hot Chili Peppers had auditions for a new guitarist, playing shows sporadically with various members. However, the group couldn't find a guitarist with the right chemistry, so no one stayed for that long. Uh, eventually, nearly a year later, Dave Navarro was fresh out of rehab and ready to commit to the group, so he joined. His very first show at the Red Hot Chili Peppers was at Woodstock 94 in front of what's estimated to be about 500,000 people. <laughs> Welcome to the group, Dave. <laughs> So with this new lineup solidified, it was finally time to record a follow-up to Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Although Dave Navarro is an amazing guitarist and songwriter, the three original Chili Peppers felt that he wasn't mixing right with their sound, especially Kiedis. Navarro pushed the band to be louder with more hard rock and metal sounds. Navarro also disliked jamming and improvising, something that the Chili Peppers had always done. Nevertheless, in 1995, the band finished the album One Hot Minute, which features the song Deep Kick we're going to talk about today. The album was hotly anticipated being that it was the band's first record since Blood Sugar Sex Magic and early sales were very strong and everything looked like it was going well. However, the album divided critics and fans who felt it was a drastic departure from the Chili Peppers sound. So One Hot Minute didn't come even close to matching sales for Blood Sugar. The most famous single from One Hot Minute is the acoustic ballad, My Friends, which is an interesting choice because it doesn't sound very much like what the rest of the record sounds like, and it doesn't sound much like what the Red Hot Chili Peppers have been known to sound like up until that time. Yeah, acoustic guitar is not something you generally associate with Red Hot Chili Peppers, certainly not this kind of acoustic ballad. And I mean, there is some acoustic stuff on Blood Sugar Sex Magic, uh, but it's still a little bit more rocking, things like Breaking the Girl, stuff like that. Um, so this is one of those instances where it's pretty clear someone else is playing guitar in this band, where I feel like even if you didn't weren't too familiar with the band or didn't know the lineup change, you'd be like, well, this is this is really different. This doesn't sound like anything else and that's kind of a little bit more of the the dave navarro style of this is a song with structure to it and chords and a melody <laughs> and and this is you know this is what i do around this time kiedis relapsed and started using heroin again as did navarro both secretly so they're hiding their drug addiction from the band now Tour dates were canceled, interband relationships were getting very heated, with Flea even threatening to quit the band. By 1997, the band was barely playing any shows, and in April 1998, Navarro was fired. We're going to talk a little bit more about what was going on in this, in this, you know, with this album and the recording and the, the touring in, in, in a bit. But let's just continue with getting an idea of like what happens to the Chili Peppers after this all goes down. So while all this is happening... John Frusciante is neck deep in his own heroin addiction, which multiple media reports said left him impoverished and near death. 
When he finally entered rehab at Flea's insistence, Frushanti needed surgery to fix the permanent scarring on his arms, restructuring his nose, and replacing literally all of his teeth. I mean, that is messed up. Like, you... You know, we think of heroin use and like, it's almost like this glamorous drug, you know, like, you know, that these like rock stars do and whatever, but like, that doesn't sound very glamorous to me. That sounds horrible. Yeah. I think, I think you get this perception of like, oh, it makes you so creative. And then, you know, you, you come back from the brink or, and, but yeah, this is for Shante coming back is not, yeah, he comes a, back a, like a monster, yeah. like, like a weird, you know, slender man monster or something. Who knows? With Flea ready to end the Red Hot Chili Peppers, he told Kiedis after Navarro's firing that the only way the band will survive is if Frusciante comes back. Now that Frusciante was clean, that was possible, and he did rejoin, even though he was reluctant because the Chili Peppers were still so famous. The band entered the studio to record their seventh and, to date, most successful album, Californication. The album was a massive hit, even bigger than Blood Sugar Sex Magic, selling 16 million copies. The most famous song from this record is called Scar Tissue, which you've no doubt heard a million times before. Scar tissue that I wish you saw. Sidecast to Mr. Know It All. I'll close your eyes and I'll kiss you cause with the birds I'll share. With the birds I'll share this Immediately after finishing the tour for Californication, the band entered the studio to record the album By The Way, which also became a big hit, no doubt helped by the radio success of the title track. A double album called Stadium Arcadium followed that, and then, unfortunately, Frusciante left the band again. Since then, the Chili Peppers have been clean and sober and releasing albums on a fairly consistent basis with their new guitarist, Josh Klinghoffer. A 12th studio album is expected to drop sometime in 2019. But now, let's go back to 1995 and talk about the album One Hot Minute and the song Deep Kick when the band was barely keeping it together with new guitarist Dave Navarro. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. So when the Red Hot Chili Peppers go into record what would be one hot minute, there's a lot of turmoil in the band. Anthony Kiedis is off secretly doing drugs and they have new member Dave Navarro in the band who's already kind of a contentious personality in the band. Um, when they play at Woodstock 94, they're wearing these like weird costumes and Dave Navarro's like, um, I can't play guitar wearing this thing. So he's already just just sort of a little disgruntled from the beginning. And as we mentioned, he comes in, he's got a very different style of playing, used to playing a hard rock metal stuff, so he's not used to this kind of 
funky stuff that the Chili Peppers do. And Anthony Kiedis, who's, as we mentioned, you know, off off doing drugs, is an integral part of the songwriting process for the Chili Peppers. They jam. Kiedis works out his lyrics. Um, so for Shante being gone, who would work very closely with Anthony Kiedis on things, it's just making it very, very hard and very the, the songwriting process gets very, very slow. Uh, and as you can imagine, when you're in the studio trying to come up with things, when things aren't working well or going very quickly or feeling like, oh, sweet, we you know wrote four or five songs, this feels good, it starts to become a slog. And I think that's kind of where the the tension the tension's already there before they even get into the studio and as soon as they go in to start writing these songs during the recording of Blood Sugar Sex Magic which you know was was such a huge record for the band the band was pretty much sober i mean they were probably still drinking they were probably still smoking and probably you know but they weren't they weren't using heroin they weren't using like the heavy heavy drugs that were like totally messing them up and when they went into One Hot Minute, they had the same, they were still kind of, you know, sober and still trying to, to do that. But it's important to note that the difference between what happened be- before Blood Sugar Sex Magic with drug use and what happened after Blood Sugar Sex Magic is that now the drug use isn't condoned. Like, so originally when the band was recording its first bunch of albums, not only were they doing drugs, but they were almost like, you know, like we mentioned, they, they were like, hey, we want to get a producer that also does drugs so that we can all do drugs together. Whereas after Blood Sugar Sex Magic, they're looking like away from the drug use now. So what Anthony Kiedis has to do now that he's addicted to drugs again during One Hot Minute, which came about because he uh, got some surgery done and they gave him some Valium and that kind of triggered him to a relapse. Uh, he's now secretly doing drugs. So he's kind of retreating away from the group to his own, you know, dark little corner or whatever, doing his drugs and then coming back into the group to like continue on with this thing, pretending that everything is totally fine. So that's a really interesting thing to keep in mind when you listen to One Hot Minute as a whole, because it's a lot darker, like lyrically, there's a lot more self-reflection going on and a lot more maybe not liking what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror kind of thing. That's kind of the the imagery that I get when I listen to One Hot Minute on, on a lot of the songs. Some of the songs are a lot more upbeat, but you know, there's definitely more darker material than on anything that they'd previously done. Yeah, and, and even the opening track, Warped, yeah. is Anthony Kiedis basically admitting to everything that's going on with him. Yeah, he's basically, and, and, I, I'm doing drugs. Like, that should yeah. be the name of the song. <laughs> and and it's just weird that you think the familiarity with the types of behaviors having, you know, er, everyone in this band having struggled with drugs and seen other people struggle with drugs, that you think they'd kind of recognize this sort of behavior. So I wonder how much of it was, a, a you know, is there something wrong with him or we're just going to ignore it? And we just, we've, you know, we've gotten through dark periods of time. Maybe, you know, things will just work out. I don't think, I mean, I don't think that the Red Hot Chili Peppers, from what I've, from what I've read to like, to go over the the history of the band and talk about all this for this episode, I don't think the band is too self-reflective. You know, I mean, I know in our Pearl Jam episode, which was, you know, recorded a while ago, we talked a lot about how the band is very self-reflective. You can, you almost get the sense that the band stops and talks about everything before they do it. Like, how does this affect us as a group? Is this going to get us to the next thing that we want to get to? Like, are we all happy with this? You know, what's going on? I don't think the chili peppers do that at all. Like, I think that they're very, I don't know, almost anti self-reflective. I feel like maybe they think to themselves like, Oh, if we start examining this and picking it apart, we're going to lose the magic. So it's not super surprising to me that they didn't understand that Anthony was, was, was using drugs, but 
I guess it is interesting that they were willing to look the other way, considering that they just had a guitarist die. Like you, you'd mm. think that they would understand the gravity of the situation, especially when they read the lyrics to Warped. Which yeah, like that's said, why, yeah, that's why. I mean, yeah. you think you look at the lyrics and be like, "Hey, Anthony, like, what's going on here? Are you using again?" You know. It's, Basic question, you know, but I guess they just didn't or, or whatever. Anthony Kiedis said he was even surprised. I have a quote from him that I read somewhere when I was looking up the history that he was even surprised that the band didn't pick up that he was using again when he when he gave them the lyrics to Warped. Even after they get through the recording and manage to put this record out, the subsequent tour goes very, very poorly. And all the band members are just at this point really frustrated. Flea is basically sick of playing everything that they've been playing. They're kind of just doing the same sets over and over again, not doing a lot of the earlier tracks that they used to do, just kind of a couple hits from Blood Sugar Sex Magic and a lot of One Hot Minute. Uh, it's also during one of these tours that Chad Smith breaks his wrist and they have to cancel a bunch of dates. They even consider having Jack Irons come back into the band in order to play those dates. So that's just another example of the the continued lack of cohesion of this band, even after they managed to pull themselves through, through the recording, they're still not happy playing this material live. song deep kick is structured in a very interesting way the beginning maybe like two minutes of the song is a very slow build atmospheric kind of trippy psychedelic kind of sound and over it anthony kiedis is essentially talking or almost like reciting a poem or a story. And the story is the story of the red hot chili peppers. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing here, but it starts off like this. It started when we were little kids, free spirits, but already tormented by our own hands. Given to us by our parents, we got together and wrote on desks and slept in laundry rooms near snowy mountains and slipped through whatever cracks we could find, minds altered. We didn't falter in portraying hysterical and tragic characters in a smog-filled universe. We loved the dirty city and the journeys away from it. One thing that you've got to know about the Red Hot Chili Peppers is they love L.A. They love California. Almost uh, every Chili Peppers album has some sort of song that references California or references L.A. in some way. They've written entire songs about California and, and L.A. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about the early days of his youth when he and Flea met and started playing music together and they were doing all these drugs and they were wandering around the world and they were leaving the city and playing shows and doing all their stuff. So the song continues with him basically describing the development of the band. Eventually the song kicks into high gear and becomes like a big epic funky heavy rock song and Anthony Kiedis starts like almost yelling lyrics over over the music saying things like uh, we went off and got some haircuts looking wild and got all drugged up hopped a train into the night I got a ride with a transvestite. Two boys in San Francisco, two boys in San Francisco, blasted off in a Bart bathroom. Those coppers woke us up. The motherfuckers woke us up. So two boys doing these things. Now, it's pretty 
pretty obvious that the two boys he's talking about is him and Flea. So the song continues with the development of the band and they're playing shows, they're doing drugs, they're meeting these people, they're doing all these things. And it basically becomes like this chronicle of what the band is doing at that time. It's very interesting to think about this is what he's decided to write about as far as the song Deep Kick goes, because everything he's talking about here is in the past. And it's almost a way of him glamorizing, or maybe not glamorizing, but sort of reminiscing about the fun that he had in his youth when he was carefree and didn't care about anything and all he was doing was doing drugs all the time. And he's writing this at a time where his band that he's currently in is in a very tumultuous transitionary period with a new guitarist and, and all this. So I guess you just have to kind of appreciate the idea of somebody coming into the, to the rehearsal studio or the recording studio or whatever and saying, Hey guys, I wrote a song about how awesome it was back in the day and how <laughs> I miss those days and how times aren't so awesome right now. You got to imagine like how Dave Navarro might've felt when, you know, that happened. Maybe, maybe Dave Navarro was so fucked up on drugs that he didn't know what was going on either. But I feel like a sober person would have been like, Hey, this kind of hurts guys. <laughs> like we're going to write songs about how awesome it was before I joined the band. Like, hello, you know? Yeah. I mean, everything you see around this time in terms of Dave Navarro's relationship with the group or just as being a part of the Chili Peppers always seems really pretty uncomfortable. And Flea and Dave Navarro are kind of like the the close buddies, I, I at least always think, especially because Flea would eventually come play with Jane's Addiction. But I remember uh, a clip I saw of Dave Navarro, the band was coming out of like a hotel and they were getting into a car to like go to the gig and the driver is like holding the door open and Anthony Kiedis goes in, Flea goes in, Chad Smith goes in and then the driver just closes the door and Dave Navarro is standing there like, um, I realize I'm the new guy, but would, would you mind getting the door? And to me, that just always kind of epitomizes, I think, the whole time of Dave Navarro in this band where it's like, I don't think the fans really accept him. I think, you know, the the band is, Anthony Kiedis is writing these lyrics that aren't like, oh, sweet, there's a new guy in this band. This is fun. These are going to be good times again. And instead, it's just, you know, 10 years ago was where I wish we were now and and looking back. And, and Flea kind of echoes that where he says, I remember 10 years ago in Hollywood, he has this little bridge in, in Deep Kick. I remember 10 years ago in Hollywood, we did some good and we did some real bad stuff. But the butthole surfer said, that's another band, it's better to regret something you did than something you didn't do. Yeah, we were young. We're looking, looking, looking for the deep kick. So I think he's, again, echoing Kiedis a little bit in this, but also kind of saying, well, as a reminder, well, we're not there anymore now. Like we were motivated by going out, having a good time you know, we, we regret some of it. We, we did have a good time, but this is where we're at now. So this whole idea of, you know, this deep kick is something in the past. And I feel like flea is almost reminding Anthony Kiedis, like those days are gone and we were, you know, motivated by other things and we need to think about something else now. Like we need to look forward now, or I'm not sure. I, I kind of get the sense that, Flea's part in this is a kind of counterpoint to what Kiedis is saying. Yeah, I've always felt like Flea is 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 almost like a in in certain ways a foil of of Anthony Kiedis. Like Flea is small, you know, kind of you know not to be mean or anything, but kind of unattractive, you know, and uh, 
whereas Anthony Kiedis is like this tall, beautiful, sculpted Adonis man with flowing <laughs> long hair and, you know, clearly somebody who's the, you know, the kind of guy that would walk down the street and get some people turning heads. And, if you, you know, Flea is an amazing, amazing bass player and Anthony Kiedis is a fairly competent singer, like not, you know, they're kind of foils. And I feel like Anthony Kiedis is the guy who, I mean, I'm not saying that Flea didn't do drugs. Flea obviously did do a lot of drugs during the Red Hot Chili Peppers time, but I feel like Anthony Kiedis was much more dependent on his drug use, whereas Flea was much more stable. And Flea was, you know, he was the one who was like, you know, we're not going in the direction that we need to go in. We need to get back to our roots. We need to do this. He always is kind of pushing the band to like always find its place. So I feel like, it's interesting that that in this song, Flea has like a lead vocal line at the end where he gives these lines that you just that you just mentioned and kind of like steps to the front a little bit and says like, hey, like, you know, just so you guys know, like I have a voice here and I am going to say like like you just mentioned, like, yeah, those were times were fun. We did that whatever, but now we're in a different spot and we need to continue to move on and, and forward. And I think that's what makes this song so interesting is that you have two distinct voices from the band kind of like having a discussion over this like really long song. This song is six and a half minutes long. When you have these kinds of discussion happening between the group and then in the middle of it, you've got, you know, Dave Navarro playing like a fucking madman. Like, I mean, this song, if it, it's, it's, it's got acoustic guitar, it's got ripping solos, got all these licks that are just awesome. Like, I feel like if you took the vocals out and gave it to somebody and said, you know, listen to this guitar player play, they'd be like, wow, this guy is amazing. But you know, all this is happening and, and yet the band is still stuck on looking back, you know, and thinking about all the things that they did in the, in the olden days and not really focusing on what they have at that moment, which to me is, is sad. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this when we get into our personal connections with the record. But I feel like that's what makes this whole album so unfortunate because it is so amazing, but I feel like people aren't really acknowledging how amazing it is. They're kind of I don't know. I feel like the hive mind has established that this album is the worst Red Hot Sleep Peppers album because it's so different. Whereas you and I are, are in the exact opposite camp. In 1995, I was 12 years old and this album came out and I remember listening to Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It was one of those records that you had to like hide from your parents because it had the explicit lyrics on it and there were some songs on there that were pretty, pretty risque. Uh, but, but one hot minute came out and I saw the video for warped, which, you know, has the band just, just going crazy. And Dave Navarro was there and, and it was just, it was just this awesome, awesome thing. And I said to myself, this is amazing. I got to get this record and I got it. And I was just at that point in time in my life where I was starting to play an instrument. I started to play bass guitar around that time. And the song P on one hot minute is just flea playing a bass guitar and singing over it. There's no band, you know, there's no drums, guitar, anything. It's just flea and a bass. And I remember being so excited because as a bass player, you don't really, especially as a young bass player, you think of yourself as kind of like a background player. You don't, you know, I don't know. There's no, 
at, at 12 years old, you don't think there's any glory in playing the bass. You think that the bass player is just kind of standing on side of the stage, keeping the, keeping the line. And so hearing a song that was just a bass guitar and a voice made me like excited about being a bass player. And I was like, Oh, I want to learn how to play this song. So I learned how to play this P song and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a fun song. And I guess we should play a little clip here so people get an idea of like what it sounds like and, and, and see how my 12 year old self was just totally infatuated with it. So I can fuck your shit up So I learned how to play this song and I had a fun time playing it for my friends because the Red Hot Chili Peppers were so big at the time and everybody knew this song because it was so funny and I had a great time playing it and, and I, I fondly remember those times building my connection with this with this album One Hot Minute. I wonder if, it, it kind of makes me wonder if I had listened to the album for the first time, not when I was 12 years old and in, in this impressionable state and learning how to play an instrument for the first time. If I'd listened to it like now, you know, when I'm an adult and not really playing music anymore and all that, like, would I still have that same connection to the album itself? I like to think that I would still think that the album was amazing. And I might still think like I do today, like, why don't people love this album? Like, I don't understand why people think this album is bad. I think it's amazing. Uh, but I may not have the same personal connection to it because I wasn't in that impressionable time where I was learning the bass and doing all that stuff. So I guess I just kind of think about that when I think about when I listen to this record sometimes, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember sitting in my bedroom and playing my bass guitar and trying to pretend that someday I'll be as good as Flea, <laughs> but that never happened. <laughs> I think I kind of feel the same way about playing like Dave Navarro. Gene's Addiction is one of my favorite bands, definitely in like my top 10. So that's really what drew me to to this Chili Peppers album. Because as we mentioned before, we're not like the biggest Red Hot Chili Peppers fans. So this is kind of the the one Chili Peppers album that I can throw on from beginning to end. And I feel like I don't kind of like fade out or get bored or what have you. Um, and that's not to, to take anything away from the band. I mean, I, I really like a lot of the early stuff, but I just, they're not kind of a go-to band for me for whatever reason. When I want to listen to crazy, awesome rock guitar and I mean, it really inspired me when I started playing guitar because I was like, I want to play like Dave Navarro because, you know, listen to this stuff in Jane's Addiction and then hearing how differently he does play a lot of things on one hot minute was just really pretty cool. Like if you listen to a song like Walkabout or Tearjerker, he's, he plays these kind of like funky, spacey stuff that um, doesn't really fit into the the kind of Jane's Addiction mold. Uh, so it's interesting to hear a guitarist who is still so distinctive, but plays so differently in this other band and kind of like plays chords or does things that he doesn't always do. So it kind of opened up for me this whole idea of, oh, wow, when you play guitar, you know, you don't have to have this like one distinctive style. You can play like all these different things. And I, I so I, I really love Dave Navarro and this band. And I know it's not on this record, but it was also during this time. There's a tribute to John Lennon called Working Class Heroes, a compilation album. And there's a really amazing cover of the 
John Lennon song I found out on there and just Navarro's playing on that song just like blows me away. It's like you can hear like the hum of the amp going and I don't know. It's just so cool to me for this album. Whenever I just, like I said, want to like, I'm just like, I want to listen to some rock music. Like what can I put on? Like this is one of my go-to records. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Be sure to visit our webpage at skippedonshuffle.com where we have a blog and links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also a YouTube page where we perform the songs that we discuss in these episodes. We are trying our best to keep Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free podcast. So if you are interested in helping to support that, please visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. Uh, any donations that come there could go straight to keeping uh, Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free experience and go straight to paying for the various costs that are associated with running this podcast.